Okay. Pretty cool. You get so I'm gonna start with a joke, but if you know the end of it, just pretend like you don't. <laughs> <laughs> pretend like it's a great joke. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't be the guy to steal the punchline. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of Theology on Mission. Today we have a special guest sitting in with us. Dave Fitch is out in Pasadena hanging out with some other people. So I have a good friend to Dave and I, especially to me, Matt Tebby's with us. Say hi, Matt. Hey, this is Matt. And can you tell us just real quick, for those who haven't met you, uh, what are you up to? Where are you at? Who are you? Uh, in you know 30 seconds or less. Yes, I met Dave and Jeff at Life on the Vine 10 years ago. We co-pastored together for a season, and now I'm living in the suburbs of Indianapolis, Fishers, Indiana, beautiful Fishers, Indiana, cold Fishers, Indiana, where I'm a co-pastor at a church called The Table with a friend of ours, Ben Sternke, and also I co-founded and helped lead Gravity Leadership, which is a discipleship and leadership training organization equipping pastors and leaders in missional leadership. Awesome. It's today we're talking about the transfiguration, the transfiguration, but I want to start off with kind of a joke. Uh, so my son Tennyson is being raised in the ways of bad dad jokes, so we share them together. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, my wife and then Soren, my older son, uh, just roll their eyes. They hate it. But we love it. So here we go. You ready, Matt? Um, yeah, hit me. I, okay. I need bad dad jokes. What do you call someone who can speak three languages? A New Testament PhD student. No, no. Trilingual. Come on. Stick with me. Oh, sorry. What do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what do you call someone who speaks one language? American. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. So I want to talk about the lost languages here uh, and why we should listen to Jesus. Okay. Because I'm ashamed to say, Matt, you can tell, you can throw in your tally. I'm ashamed to say that I've learned and forgotten six languages on top of English. So I learned Spanish in high school and early part of college. In seminary, I learned Greek and Hebrew, and then for graduate school, I had to learn French and German, and then I kind of had to uh, do a little smattering in Latin because I was studying Augustine. So I managed to learn and forget six languages. Wow. So I would think that I'm I'm well qualified to speak about languages. Yeah, you you have the least excuse to be uh, unilingual. <laughs> I know to be an American who only knows one language. It's terrible. So, but my premise here, so I would just, so tell me what you think, Matt. I'm going to lay this yep. out as quick as possible. Let me hear it. Is that in the, on the story of the transfiguration, you have, uh, Jesus, James, John, and Peter going up the mount. And then, um, Jesus is transfigured his face or his clothes or as white as linen. Uh, and then two people come, uh, Moses and Elijah, uh, and then they're talking about, you know, something. And then this voice from heaven, Peter says some dumb things. This voice from heaven comes, says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. So why do we need to listen to Jesus? So uh, I want to throw out there this idea that we need to listen to Jesus because he's speaking a language or he's training us in a language of discerning 
what is good and right and what is evil and wrong with the world. And so that's why we need to listen to him. So, and why are Moses and Elijah there? So I want to back up a little bit. So mm. back, to, back to learning languages. So when it comes to learning languages, you know, what did you learn first when you learned Greek in, uh, in seminary, Matt? You had to learn, like, the alphabet. Yes, I then, learned a little jingle, a little song, a little ditty. A little ditty? Oh, do you still remember it? Could you, you know, do you feel uh, like, you know, sharing that? Well, now that I think about the song, I know it's for Hebrew. <laughs> Fine, good enough, good enough. Aleph, bet, then, gamble, dollet, hate, and something, and more letters. Yeah, that's all I remember. <laughs> all right, awesome. Okay, so it's the letters and the vocab. Those are like these fundamental building blocks of yep. learning a language. Uh, some people would call it, yeah, so that's like the vocabulary um, some people call that the grammar stage in learning something. Then on top of that, or not the grammar stage, sorry. What is before that? I forget. The second stage is the grammar stage. That's like where you learn how to put these words together. What are the rules between the difference between a verb and a noun and different prepositions? And how do they go together to create meaning? So that's the second level. The first level is the basic building blocks, vocabulary. The second level is how to hold them together. And I would say... That the Old Testament, in one sense, is God giving humanity the building blocks of goodness or what is good. After the fall, after the attempt to discern good and evil, we've totally ruined the language game, ruined our ability to actually discern good and evil. Now God is giving us, through Israel initially, the ability to know good and evil, the thing we tried to get at the tree, but lost. So I would say Moses and the Ten Commandments, especially, but the whole law is really just a basic vocabulary. It's it's understanding the difference between holy and common or holy and profane. It's understanding the difference between clean and unclean. God's trying to um, teach Israel uh, his ways in the world, his ways that promote life rather than death. Uh, but he has to start at the most basic level. And so this is, in a sense, the giving of the law. But what's the next level? This is like the grammar stage is making sure you're stringing it together because you can kind of you know, know the building blocks but not do it adequately. And I think this is the role of the prophets is they say, hey, Israel, like those sacrifices you're doing over and over but your heart's not in it, that's, that's doing it wrong. That's not saying it the right way. That's not loving God with your whole heart. Or, hey, David, uh, sleeping with Bathsheba, that's wrong. Like, you're doing it the wrong way. And so there's this, the prophets kind of come along, and they take the law, and they say, hey, you're, you have the pieces, but you're putting them in the wrong order. And so we're coming, speaking for God, training you up into understanding these things kind of in the right way. So, and this, and I'll just put out there, you know, the New Testament talks quite a bit about the law and the prophets as a summary of the Old Testament. And then Moses is the representative of the law, and Elijah is representative of the prophets. So, so I think I'm on to something here. What do you think? The building blocks and the grammar let me, let me, let me of God's goodness. Right. Let's see if I got you right. So Moses is the ABCs. One, and two, Elijah, three. Dun, 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 dun. Is that right? And Elijah is like syntax and grammar in writing sentences with the ABCs. Yes. All right. And then Jesus is... is well, I didn't like get a, to Jesus yet. Oh, Okay, so okay. <laughs> my question is, why are the prophets summarized by Elijah, but he didn't get a chance to write a book? Okay, that's a good question, but I think you asked that question because you know the answer. What's your answer, Matt Tebby? But he was like the, one of the most dramatic and earliest prophets who was confronting uh, 
Jezebel and Ahab yes. confronting yes. Israel and its apostasy. Um, yes. Certainly there was Samuel and Nathan before him, but, you know, like when, when Israel really goes off the rails, he's like the first major one then followed by Elisha. Uh, usually when we think of the prophets, we think of like the prophetic books, which come much later than either of those two figures. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's a historical narrative. And he's this, yeah. this prophet who, you know, did amazing things a lot like Jesus did. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And he's sort of the paradigmatic challenge to the temple or the priestly or the mosaic law-keeping sort of stream of what it means to be a faithful Jew. Right. right. So, okay, so yeah, I'm following you so far. So how does it fit in with this transfiguration? Well, okay, so this goes back to, to me because, you know, it's all about me. Because <laughs> <It always laughs> Dave's not here. Dave's not here, so now it's about me. You know, otherwise, otherwise me. it'd be about him. <laughs> We love you, Dave Fitch. <laughs> Just so you know, Matt Matt also ministered with Dave Fitch for a long time. So sorry if this is a little too inside for everyone. So Jesus comes in. So for me, I didn't, the language has never stuck with me, whether it was Spanish, you know, certainly Greek and Hebrew. Uh, well, Hebrew, Greek and Hebrew are actually still current languages, Latin, no. But the reason why these languages never stuck for me is because I never learned them in conversation with a native speaker. I never got actually got to the third level of language mm. acquisition, which is fluency, where you know the inside and outside of the idioms, and the customs, and the actual way of life that this mm-hmm. language kind of came out of. And so I've never been in a relationship with a Spanish speaker in that kind of depth to really practice and then to own and move into that space. So I would say mm. that... that as much as God want to, wanted to give himself to Israel, wanted to uh, raise them up, teach them his ways, the ways of life and goodness, but there was no native speaker, in a sense, that was living among Israel to really show them the way. And so this is what the incarnation is. This is the transfiguration. Is Jesus has come to show us the good life, the true good life. And God kind of announces that and says, listen to him. He's the true native speaker of what's good and right. Uh, you will not go wrong if you follow, listen, and, you know, yes, follow after him. So that's, that's kind of my third level of language acquisition, uh, vocabulary, built upon the grammar, builds into fluency. So Jesus helps us to be fluent in the language of the good, which Adam and Eve never actually arrived at. Well, they didn't have Jesus, True. according to your schema. Yeah, so what, what's compelling about then, is Jesus just this moral example? Is he the way to put the law and the prophets together, and that's why he is God's son? Is that what you're saying? That would be adoptionism, I think. But no. Well, yeah, okay, so it could go there. So I, I'm not talking about atonement theory. So, uh, But in one sense, yeah, this is like a moral, this is like a moral exemplar. Uh, kind of understanding of Jesus's life is he is teaching us how to live in a world that's sinful, fallen, confused about what is good and evil, about what is right and wrong, which, you know, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, like people are confused about this constantly. We're we're confused about it. I'm confused about it. Um, But Jesus steps into that situation and he is teaching us what it means to live a good life, a God-honoring life, a kingdom life, whatever kind of adjective you want to put in there. Uh, he's teaching us how to do that with his life. And, yeah, in one sense, we should imitate him, just like you learn a language by imitating a native speaker. Uh, we should imitate Christ. Yeah, I like it. I like it. What, what strikes me, I, as you're talking, I'm thinking of that passage from John chapter 1 where 
where John tells us the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there's something about that's I've always this always struck me. There's something insufficient or incomplete and yet completed or fulfilled by Jesus when it comes to the Old Testament law, you know, and so we see this show up in the Gospels a lot where he speaks as one who has authority or right. he says, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, or there's all kinds of questioning of him by the law and the scribes, and they dare not answer him again because they realize, you know, he's running circles around them and things like that. And so uh, I do, I do like what you're saying in terms of Jesus tells us how it all fits together. He, he makes us not just, uh, not just have literacy, but fluency. Right. I like it. Yeah. Yes. We don't just have the law memorized. We, we know how to embody and, and contextualize and, and relate meaning the law and the prophets. Now, because I only speak one language, I don't have any handy examples. So any bilingual, trilingual people, you could like write it in our theology admission Facebook page or on Twitter, hit us up. But, but uh, I'm thinking of those instances where, you know, if you're learning another language, you might be certain that you're using a word in the right context in the right way from, you know, and you're just like, this is what I've learned. It's in the book. And then so a native speaker's like, no, that was wrong. You're like, what, what? Right. But you wouldn't know that until someone was like, you actually didn't do it right. And I think what you said is true is like, we can hear God's word. We can know God's word. We can know God's law. But then all of a sudden it's like, no, sin got in there and it turned it, you know, and that's the gift of the spirit to us, right? This is why Jesus said, you know, the counselor, the advocate, the comforter, he will come and lead you into all truth. That's in John 15, 16. Uh, And so that's, what's important too, is that these things aren't external to us, but now they're internal. The covenant is, you know, written on our hearts. Right. So what does this mean for us then today, Jeff, in terms of practicality or uh, outworking or implementation for us today? uh, Come on, really? Theology on mission, I guess it's in the name that I got to answer this. So I think for one, the re- the main reason, I guess, is because um, I worry a lot of times that people feel like the Old Testament is disposable, is that, well, now that Jesus came, he's like, the, it's kind of like a, an app on your phone or your computer. It's like, well, now that I have the most up-to-date version, I don't really need to reference those other versions. Or now that I have the most recent edition of the book, I don't ever have to go look at the, the older editions because that's like, it's the Old Testament and now we have the new one, right? And I think sometimes I worry about that. But if you think of Jesus as uh, not an update in God's law or covenant, but really a continuation, it's like, well, you still need to learn the basic vocab and the old Testament's a lot bigger than new Testament and the new, yeah. and the new Testament assumes the basic vocabulary building blocks, whether it's of sacrifice or whether it's of love and mercy or whether it's, you know, of Abraham, you know, call and blessing. Right. And it, and it also assumes the prophetic um, kind of critique of, you know, just painting by the numbers religiously or just, you know, going through the motions. It's, it's so, so you can't just ignore those things and then get to Jesus and think you can understand Jesus because I, I think a lot of times we don't understand Jesus. And so yeah. for me, it's a way of holding the two Testaments together and say, Hey, we need to be, you know, you know, certainly reading and following and understanding Jesus, but we got to go back, you know, hey, why not read Leviticus, you know, sometimes why not read, you know, the entire book of Exodus, not just up until chapter 19 where they cut the covenant on Mount Sinai. And then it's like everything else is boring because it's just the tabernacle that they keep talking about. Right. How about read the whole chapter? You know, so it's all these types of things. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be one thing. What do you think might be a reason that this could be helpful? 
Well, uh, so Jesus puts together the law and the prophets, but he doesn't do it in a decontextualized, abstract, timeless way. So, so Jesus, you know, Galatians 4 talks about he's a, he was, um, you know, born at just the right time. Mm-hmm. And he was born um, in, a, in, a, in a particular context. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, the, it takes, it sounds like Jesus is the example, but we aren't simply to recapitulate his life, saying everything he said, only saying what he said, only doing what he did, right? Mm-hmm. In, a, in, a, in a wooden or literal sense. But there's a sense, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a sense of wisdom that's, that needs to happen where we are um, maybe improvising or taking our place in the same arena of, of, of Jesus and how he brings it along the prophets, where we improvise and enact like this virtuous goodness that you're talking about where justice and mercy have met together, mm-hmm. right? Right, where grace and truth rest. So I'm, I'm just wondering practicality, like practically, uh, you know, how do we, how do we discern I'm bringing the other law and the prophets like Jesus did, or I'm not. They're asking so, me, did you throw it back to me? Yeah, man, uh, solve <laughs> it. You have three minutes. Because uh, you're, what you're talking about is like continuity and discontinuity, right? So so we, we, we have systematic theologies that tell us, okay, you no longer need to keep kosher, or you no longer need to hold to uh, civil law in the Old Testament because now we're in the New Covenant. And so there's there's continuity and, continuity and discontinuity, but there's a real sense in which Jesus takes pretty cut-and-dried r- rules, if you will, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and he says, no, no, love those who, who hate you and pray for those who persecute you, right? Mm-hmm. right. And if somebody uh, takes your eye, give them your other one. <laughs> I mean, he uses coat and cloak, but in a sense, he's not saying it's not tit for tat. But you give them, you give them the tat as well, and so that that takes wisdom, I think, to interpret and apply that in a in our own context today. And I'm just wondering, like, how do we follow in the fluency of the one we're to listen to? Well, I think it's, you know, these are the things we you and I talk about quite a bit when we are ministering together, and even now in our different contexts is. Mutual submission and communal discernment. These are, you know, the, the Spirit's yes. been given to all of us. You know, Christ lives in us. We live in Him. That's pri- that's the primary kind of understanding of the in language is that we're actually living in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And so, you know, we aren't left on our own to figure this out. But we have Scripture. We have the community. We have the leading of the Spirit. And so all these things are ways in which we attempt to disentangle ourselves from our own sin and then move into... God's kingdom, God's goodness, um, communally, and I think wisdom is is a good is a good word for it, or you know, fluency, or improvising, or these types of things. We shouldn't revert back into like a wooden legalistic understanding of things, um, in any which way. But we should still be, in a sense, revisiting kind of the Old Testament and all those things, so that yeah. like we're still, you know. Uh, I think, so I think, um, oh, the words like escaping, but I, I think like having a certain kind of, um, quickness into being able to draw on all these resources, like our, especially like the old Testament, like, do we have a deep reservoir of stories and imaginations and things, yeah. names of God that then we can apply or do we just have, you know, or is it the type of thing where everything's a, a nail because all we have is a hammer when it comes to, you know, our doctrine of God or our understanding of God's work in Israel or this or that. Um, yes. And so, yeah, can we yeah. have, 
more. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think part part of it is we. I I I haven't really had a great imagination for how to read scripture through Jesus. Um, part part of it is my training just in seminary was to, you know, the text. You read the text for what it is, where it is, and how it is. And I and I've had to learn how to read scripture theologically because I wasn't trained. I wasn't really trained to do that uh, explicitly. Uh, and so reading reading the Old Testament, you know, a friend of mine says uh, Christians should never go into the Old Testament without a sponsor, uh, and <laughs> you should never just go reading the Old Testament without Jesus? Jesus, without Jesus, right? Because we don't we don't read the Old Testament as the people who read the f- first Testament read it firstly, <laughs> but we read it now in light of Christ, in light of His death and resurrection. Uh, so that's the first thing. I, I guess the second thing is. I'm, I'm, you know, when when Jesus was posed this question about the greatest commandment, you know, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And this seemed to be kind of the the gotcha or the. It's actually interesting. It's one of the few times when Jesus is asked a question by a law uh, by a by a, a lawyer, where they actually commend his answer, mm-hmm. rather than go quiet or argue with him or grumble or get angry or want to kill him. And, and, and he says, you know, the, this command to love, right? Love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so for me, for me, um, what's been helpful for me pastorally is to get really clear on what love love lives like so that we know, because um, for me, like, love holds together the law and the prophets. And, and you know, Paul, Paul says this, right? You can... You can have the most incredible words without love, it's rubbish. And you can do the most incredible deeds, but without love, it's, it's, it's rubbish. Uh, and so I, what I see Jesus doing is holding together all the prophets in love, like this is love, that Christ loved us, right, and gave himself up for us, in love, and which, which brings context and syntax and, and meaning and background and all this, all this, all the things you need for being fluent. Uh, I think Jesus holds those together in love. I, and so for, for me, there, that takes wisdom to know how to do that today. And you mentioned mutual submission and communal discernment. I think those are two ways uh, that we actually love each other. Right. I actually listen to you de- uh, decidedly bent towards what you have to say because I trust that God's given you his spirit and you have what I need to hear. Mm-hmm. Right, and there's a holding open of space, a submitting to you, a listening, an allowing, a mutuality, a giving and receiving. That's that's an embodiment, I think, of love. That is foundational and and vital for living in this fluency that Jesus makes possible for us. Excellent. So I think. Well, we could go on and on because uh, you know the Transfiguration Sunday is just on the hinge before we hit. Uh... Ash Wednesday, and then uh, the temptations of Christ. So there's a whole way where we could look at the temptations of Christ as, as you know, the as the accuser, Satan, uh, trying to insinuate, you know, a breach between the Son and the Father and the goodness of God. You know, yeah, like make this make these stones into bread. Is God really good enough to provide for you? Why don't you take care of it yourself? Is God mm-hmm. really going to protect you? He said He would. Why don't you just double check? Like make sure the seatbelt's fastened before you go into your ministry here. So why don't you jump off the th- right? Or you know, like do you really want to get God's kingdom that way through death and suffering? Like I got like, and, you know, and, and I think there's this. A lot of times we just read the temptation passages, or, you know, or 
or we've heard them preach, or maybe we've preached them ourselves. Like, here's three handy tips for how to resist temptation just the way Jesus did, which, you know, those are fine. But I think like what you said, like, how do we read it theologically is, you know, the devil's trying to confuse Jesus about what is good and what is evil. Uh, Again, just like he did with Adam and Eve and Jesus resists and he keeps pulling back and saying, well, that, you know, like being fed is a good thing. Like, you know, going hungry is not virtuous in itself. Uh, Being fed is a good thing, but, you know, having... Uh, obedience to to God is is even better. Or being protected is a good thing, uh, but trusting God no matter what is even better. And receiving a kingdom is a good thing. Actually, Jesus was going to receive a kingdom yep. anyways, but yep. receiving it from the Father is the better thing, right? And so, how are we lear- are we learning the voc- the language, the vocabulary, the fluency of what really is good, so or are we just settling about- for something else? Yeah, the way we talk about that is it matters in the way in which you pursue the good, the way of Jesus. Right matters because all those are good ideas: food, and glory, and authority. These are all things Jesus was were given to him in his sonship. Right, uh, but the way that he pursued those and laid hold of those matters a great deal. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I, I think the way is love, and Jesus knew that to do to give into those temptations would not be to trust the love that God had just spoken over him in his baptism. And he speaks over him again here in the transfiguration, which is, you are my dearly loved son. All my pleasure rests on you. Amen. Exactly. That's exactly right. Hey, so I didn't uh, prepare you for this, but we often do a, what are you reading? So uh, on the podcast, we do, what are you reading? Uh, So that we can kind of just let people know what we're looking into. Now, I'm... I'm reading a book. I'll give you a second. I'll jump in. Um, uh, it's called uh, The Anatomy of the Soul, and I don't have. I think it's something Chapman. I think it's no, Gary. It's Ch- Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Thompson. Yeah, Kurt Thompson. Yes, thank you. Have you read that? You've read parts uh, of it. I have read his book, The Soul of Shame. I read that too. I already. I brought that up a couple of weeks ago on the on the podcast. Uh, so you read, which was excellent. I love yes, that. Really good. Uh, so I got into his other earlier book, and he's trying to. Uh, not trying, but he is. He's bringing together neuroscience and spiritual formation and spiritual practices. And he's basically yeah. saying, how do these two things fit together? How does attachment theory help us understand how to seek God? How does um, shame help us understand the fall and sin? It's just so good. It, it's a little dense, but it's it's quite good. The Anatomy of the, of the Soul by Kurt Thompson, right? Kurt Thompson. Yeah, Kurt yeah, Thompson. It's, it's, it's a really good book. I mean, I've, I've read excerpts from it and... Uh... So I'm gonna try to get him on the podcast sometime. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be really good. Uh, I'm always reading about 18 books. Um, yeah, so just pick one. All right, I'll pick one. I'm reading uh, "Crucifixion of the Warrior God" by Greg Boyd. I've been reading that before. It feels like six or seven years. It's a long, it's a long tome, um, but I'm halfway through yes, the second volume, it's huge. and it's really good. Excellent. All right, good. Well, I was thinking I'd, I'd make you sit in for Fitch versus Fitch, but uh, we'll just let the we'll just let the guy pass today. <laughs> we could try to we could try to parse and translate Fitch to himself and see. Does yeah, exactly. He did that. Well, thanks so much for jumping on to talk about transfiguration and jumping in a little bit about uh, Epiphany again. This is Matt Tebby. You're on Twitter, Facebook. Yep. We're yeah, at Matt Tebby. That's M A three T's. Three Matt Tebby. Yep. Three T's. There's a guy named Matt Ebby who gets emails from me, and he's never he's never happy about it. So make sure it's <laughs> Matt Ebby, huh? Okay, don't 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 follow Matt Ebby and shoot him <laughs> scathing criticisms of this podcast. Make sure you find Matt 
Debbie. Yeah, uh, on Facebook too. Excellent. Along, and he, uh, along with Ben Sternke, uh, are part of Gravity Leadership. They're doing great stuff. Our church is benefiting greatly from the stuff that you guys are producing. We love it. Uh, and actually, well, this is, you know, and Matt's actually part of our church planning institute. He and Ben are uh, helping uh, us kind of form this new way of training church planners. So thank you for doing that, Matt. We love yeah, it. It's exciting. Well, thanks so much. And uh, if if you don't mind, it'd be great to have you on again sometime. I oh, it. Actually, I hear you're going to start your own podcast. Is that true? Or is that just rumor at this point? No, Gravity, uh, Ben and I are going to start a podcast in this new year. We're just, we're getting equipment. You can't just do this out of your, you can't just do this out of your garage on a little uh, old tape recorder. We got to, we got to figure out some equipment. Yes, you can. That's can how, we? that's how we started. <laughs> It's I called, it's called Garage Band. I can't hear anything that you're saying. <laughs> yeah, those are bad mics. No, yeah, we're, we're going to launch that podcast in the next couple months. Awesome. All right. Well, everybody will be looking for it. We'll be sure to mention. Well, thanks, thanks again, Matt. Uh, have a good one. You too, man. Peace.